Behind every good story is an interesting person. This is Person of Interest with Q102's Jeff Thomas. Elias Lysring owns Eli's Barbecue. Yep. Uh, he's also the part owner of many ventures around town, like uh, Fireside Pizza. Yep. Which is on uh, McMillan and Walnut Hills, correct? Yeah, that's right. It's in uh, the old, the oldest the old standing firehouse, firehouse in Ohio. Yeah. And boy, man, you were like one of the first, if not the first. Yeah, we were, we were real early on that one. <laughs> Talk about a leap of faith. <laughs> still leaping. But, still faithing. Yeah, but there's still yeah, some dramatic coming. change since then oh, recently, coming. right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, also, Queen City Whip. Uh, Saunders Kitchen, Highmark, Herzog Music and Records, Jack of Many Trades. You're an entrepreneur. Yeah, that, um, I actually took a class in entrepreneurship when I was in high school. Now that I think about it, I never realized that until just now. Goshen High School. That's where I went. Yeah. You're in the official Goshen High School Hall of Fame. It's that's a true story. Or were you the first inductee? No, no. There's oh. there's many many more before me. So you were from Goshen originally? Yeah, I grew up um, out east. Goshen is out past Milford and in between sort of Milford and Blanchester. Small community. And uh, yeah, I, I went to uh, some elementary school there. And then I also went to all my high school years there. Played some baseball, played some tennis, did some theater and drama, did a couple different things. Yeah. You get um, sis- nice little school. Sisters and brothers? Nope. Only child. All right. Yeah. So uh, the Alumni Association called me up. And asked me if I would be in the Hall of Fame. Was that a surprise to you? Yes. Yes, it was. I wouldn't consider myself Hall of Fame material yet, but... Were you a good student? Not particularly. I did okay. I didn't get the greatest of grades. I have a, a rebellious streak when it comes to homework and studying and things. Is it because it does it didn't challenge you or you just didn't like it? You I weren't interested that, in the no, subject matter? No, I wouldn't say that. I feel like when people say they're not challenged, that's just sort of a... You know, an excuse for being lazy, excuse for being lazy and unmotivated. Uh Yeah, because even when it's more challenging, I didn't just get better grades. It really it's what I'm interested in. If I'm interested in it, then I'll really go after it. But if I'm not interested in it, then I'm just going to end up going through the motions. What interested you in high school? I heard you say drama. theater. I was really into history and economics. I didn't really like math or English. Science was just kind of in the middle for me. So, were you one of those kids that, if you didn't know, maybe had an idea of what you wanted to do when you grew up? Um, at the, when I was in high school, I thought I wanted to be like a businessman, like on TV style, you know, like New York City, yeah, suit, office tower, right? I didn't know what they did. Power broker, yeah, no idea. I what had they no did. idea. Yeah, I just thought well, I want to be a business guy. I didn't want to be like you know, I didn't want to be a farmer, and I didn't want to be like a mechanic or a fireman or. Anything like that. I wanted to be kind of involved in business. Then I graduated and went to college for a little bit and did a bunch of. uh, I went to Miami University in Hamilton, um, which is their community campus. Went there for a couple years, but I didn't finish. And then I took, you know, a series of jobs that were in between. You know, I would do some sales jobs and then would also work in restaurants like serve tables and bartend and things like that. Worked in a bunch of different places, um, and that's kind of where I got sort of fell in love with food and beverage. I really enjoy working in food and beverage. I've had a lot of different jobs, and out of all the jobs that I've ever done, I've enjoyed that the most because of the theatrics of it and the fast pace um, involving people. 
and I like people and I like meeting people and I like new things and new challenges. And so there's always that in food and beverage. Did that surprise you that you took an interest in food and beverage? Had you worked in food and beverage prior to graduating from high school? I I worked at Perkins actually in high school. My first job was with Kroger and it only paid $4 and 25 cents an hour. And I I could work like 30 hours in high school and my check would be like 98 bucks. Right. I'm like, (laughs) something's wrong here. I got a job working at Perkins as a server and I could make 130 or $140 in one day on Sunday or Saturday. That's which wild. was really good money yeah. when I was in high school in 1994. And so, how did you account for that discrepancy between the two jobs? Well, the serving job, you're hustling and you can take as many tables as you want. You can stay later and pick up tables, or you know, you can come in early and hurry up and get on the floor and take tables. There's always an element of people in the restaurant that are lazy, so you can pick up their slack, but the difference is you get paid for it right. through the tips. Whereas in a job like Kroger, where you're making four and a quarter an hour, there's people standing around in the back, and then there's people that are out there like really working hard to get the carts, and then there's people sure. that are in between. But no matter what, you're getting the same amount of pay. So, so you felt like you had some control over your income. That might have been the last hourly job I ever had at Perkins or no, at no, Kroger. At, at Kroger. Right. I was 16 and I don't think I worked another, I don't think I've worked another hourly job. Every job I've had has had a commission element or a sales element or a bonus element or tips or, are you good at sales? Yeah, I'm pretty good at sales. Cold calling. I don't enjoy doing that. Another job I had in high school was selling in Cincinnati inquire and post subscriptions door to door, like cold knocking on doors. How'd that go? I did really well at that. We actually had a little crew that did that. It was a guy would pick us up in the afternoon, like after school, and then we would go out and then come back in the evening around eight. And there was a whole, there was five or six guys. It was a lot of fun. It was really competitive. And uh, I made pretty good money doing it. You know, I was a sophomore, junior in high school and could make a couple hundred bucks a week working, you know, a few hours in the evening. So I learned quickly how to find common interests with people and how to, you know, they open up their door and you can quickly try to find things that, you know, you can Connect. relate. Yeah. Relate connectivity. Yeah. Oh, you have an aquarium. I have an aquarium. How do you keep yours so right. clean? Mine's always dirty <laughs> questions, you know, things like that. But now, yeah. Could you BS your way through those things? Like if you didn't actually have an aquarium, could you just muddle your way through that type of thing? Or? Yeah. You find something. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it's the dog or the kid or a uh-huh. TV show. I was trying to find some commonality. Smells there. like chili inside, you know. Right. What, you know, are you grilling out tonight? It's an art, though. Red's game's on. Yeah, because it needs to be natural. And I, I, you know, I am an inquisitive person by nature, so it wasn't necessarily, you know, like a scam or, you know, it's just you've only got a certain amount of time when someone opens their door to sure. disarm them because they're aggravated that you're standing there on their doorstep even more nowadays, but this was in 1994, 95. So people were a little bit more, um, leave it to beaver about things then. And then I've been in a variety of different types of sales jobs, but, um, it's not something that I prefer. It's high pressure. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a lot of pressure and you always got to outperform. Yeah. And you're, you're net, you're always, as, you're only as good as your last week, you know? True. And so, you know, you're usually on commission and, um, and yeah, it's very it's reliant on other people, whereas, you know, you talk about having some control over the amount of money you make or how much work you take on, you felt more comfortable in food and beverage? Once you get in, once I got into food and beverage, it's a little bit more routine based in terms of day to day. I mean, there's different things and different problems to solve and different challenges, but the days go by very quickly. 
You know, there's a lot of stuff that, that has to happen. And so it's really good for people with substance abuse issues, attention deficit disorder, things like that. A lot of your bartenders and servers, you'll find a lot of that in the industry. And a lot of people think it's because of the industry, but I actually think it's more the other way around. I think those personalities seek out that high intensity, fast paced, you know, quick fix, quick hit, adrenaline rush, you know, that happens every day in food and beverage. And so I think a lot of people that have those issues find comfort in that environment. That's interesting. You know, and so, you know, you'll find a lot of current or recovering, but makes the day go by fast. Wow. And, you know, you got, you're getting some good energy and some good healthy juice versus other things. It but. does take a certain personality and, and there really is an art to connecting with people. You know, you're obviously a natural at it. I worked as a waiter at a family owned restaurant where we had to dress up in these pinstripe shirts. It was like this early 1900s theme and we had the garters on our, Oh yeah. and uh, we did this big, huge production. If somebody had a birthday and we had cymbals and a drum set and we wore these stupid hats and I felt like the music and I hated it. Great customers, great clientele. It just wasn't for me. One night the dishwasher walked out. I volunteered and we still, I still got a cut of the tips. That's just how it worked there. And I loved it. And I didn't want to leave the dish. I didn't want to leave the whole bar. I would just come out, grab the dishes. And I think what I loved about it was that it was so routine and I didn't have to deal with people. Yeah. The people get exhausting after a while. I mean, any, any service-based business where you have to deal with people, it can get, it gets challenging. And that's the nice thing about the dish pit is you can go in there and just hammer it out and be you can left work alone. hard and be left alone. You've yeah. got a very clear, tasks at hand um and when you leave you, you leave and you know you've done you know you've worked hard um and so that's nice right um the personalities out in the front of the house of the restaurant you know you're dealing with the customers but you're also dealing with the other employees as well yeah and it's there's usually a pretty dramatic set of people and when people are eating there in terms of the customer you know, there's not much more intimacy than you can have with somebody than feeding them. The next few things are not, you know, air appropriate. Um, but yeah, so it's like a really intimate thing that people are doing and it's very ritualistic and everybody's got their little weird hitches and things that they, you know, they don't like. And, you know, you get regulars and all that kind of stuff starts to happen. And um, it's a pretty interesting dichotomy of, of work experience. Um, you know, Eli's barbecue is kind of the, <clears throat> you know, we wanted that to be sort of anti restaurant in terms of the experience that people had. So something that we didn't really want, you know, like our employees, we don't make them wear uniforms and just little things like that, that we try to keep it laid back and refresh my memory. Was the East end location, the first location or was yeah, it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Out yeah. on Riverside drive. And you really got to be committed because you know, you wait a while, but yeah. it's worth it. Yeah. If you don't have something worth waiting for, you're not going to survive for very long. Was it hard to earn that reputation quickly? You know, we had kind of our legs underneath of us a little bit in terms of people knowing about us. We had been on Fountain Square for two summers. And so there was, um, you know, a little bit of you know, buzz about us opening you know, we're in that little house out there mm. and there's not very much room and there's not very much kitchen space. So, um, we were almost too busy really when we opened, but that wasn't that busy. 
but it was busy in terms of our experience trying to do that out of a tiny little house. In other words, it was about as busy as you could handle at that time. Yeah, and that that as it got busier, you know, we made changes and added people and put a walk in in and then we put a second walk in and got a bigger smoker and et cetera. And so on it went. And so we sort of grew the business as it got busy. You know, the wait is a little bit of a folklore thing. Saturdays at six o'clock, you know, Fridays at six o'clock, there's going to be a wait. But other than that, you know, it's, it's not like a two hour wait all the time. I think, think some people think like there's just a line out the door 24 seven and there's a line out the door, but not, 24 seven and it moves and it moves quick and yeah. we we when it. we first opened you know we were handwritten checks as we've progressed you know now we take the order on a computer which we didn't want to really do but it goes faster and it prints the checks in the kitchen faster and we now have three registers instead of two and moves there's just a faster. there's yeah there's just a lot of things that we've a lot of efficiencies efficiencies that we've created that help speed up the process but yeah, on a Saturday afternoon when it's beautiful outside, it's still going to be busy. What's the story behind Eli's? So I um, really like to play music. That's kind of like my first, let's say, hobby passion. Um, you don't make any money doing that, even if you're really good at it. Um, what do you play? I, guitar, drums, a little bit of piano, kind of some other electronic manipulation stuff, but mainly guitar. I've been playing guitar for 25 years. Solid. Like I play like every day. You know, I really enjoy it, um, but I can't make any money doing that. So my next sort of like creative outlet was like cooking food. So I've, I've, I've always cooked food. Even when I was a kid, I liked to cook food. I like the different textures, the different colors, smells, scents, like the whole thing. So, you know, what is, do you remember what inspired that or is that just always you know, been with you? I don't really know. I just, um, I've, I've always enjoyed eating and enjoyed like sitting down with families and eating um, and that kind of thing. Um, I've been in relationships with people that have been into food or into cooking food. So I think it was just something that kind of got passed down to me kind of the way music has, you know, gets passed down. You have, have those friends that do that. Mm. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a friend who also is a musician, but he would have huge dinner parties at his house. And this is like when I was like 21 years old or whatever. And they would, he had made these great cheeseburgers and they would make all this other stuff, but they made everything from scratch. And like wow. when I would walk into their house, it was like all these smells and all this activity going on that I never saw in a lot of other houses. And even my own house growing up, my mom always, you know, she cooked dinner almost always, or my dad, somebody would cook dinner, but it was just the three of us. So it wasn't, you know, and they weren't really like necessarily super into like, culinary the way it is now you know i mean yeah. my dad grilled out my mom made her staples pot roast and sure. things like that you know american basics yeah yeah and yeah. it was all good um but the, these friends of ours you know they would like grow rosemary and you know, just did all this kind of stuff and i was like everything was always like a whole step better like, wow. wow this food is so good hmm. so anytime they would have people over for dinner me and my other couple buddies that were like a little bit younger they were a little older they like lived together as a guy and a girl so that we, we would, oh yeah, we got to go over there. You know, we got to go to John and Monica's. They're making, they're making dinner tonight. And it was like, you know, this was going to be like the you best thing. You knew it was going to be good. Yeah. This was like really going to be good. Uh. And then I <clears throat> started working in higher quality restaurants. So that gave me another level of appreciation for food. Yeah. And so that, you know, that's a long walk around the playground to get to the Eli's barbecue story. But basically 
I was involved in cooking and cooking for fun and cooking as a hobby and watching Food Network and reading food magazines and stuff. Um, and I got gifted a barbecue book uh, for Christmas and it was all about smoking meats. And so I read that and I started smoking meats. I was already like to grill a lot, but I so I started smoking meats and um, I really enjoyed it. And it turned out that I was good at it. And so I started working on it. It takes patience too, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it takes a lot of time. If you're someone who craves instant gratification, especially when it comes to food, that takes discipline. Yeah, it's not something that happens in a hurry. Um, I, mean, I started with pork shoulders, and that's like an 18 hour. And at that time, in my little smoker at home, which was electric, it would take, you know, 18, 19, 20 hours. Wow. Um, and then it would be delicious, but then I would have all this extra food. And you can only eat so much barbecue before right. you're like, okay, now nah, I ate two pounds and there's six pounds left. So uh-huh. that's when it starts going to neighbors and aunts and uncles. And then that's oh, when... Oh, I would have loved to have been your neighbor. Uh, my neighbors, when I first started on Fountain Square, my neighbors, they got so much free food oh. because I would come home. The first year we were only we were only on the square on Tuesdays. So I would come home and I would have... Everything I had left was going to go in the trash. Mm. So it, I would knock on my neighbor's door and here's 15 chicken breasts and here's a bunch of corn. And oh my goodness. Barbecue sauce and blah, 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 blah. You know, so that they, they always got a kick out of that. And then same thing the next year we were on found square five days a week. And if you don't have a restaurant to go back to, obviously whatever you have left, you know, is pretty much done at the end of the day. You can't really save it. Right. Um, it doesn't reheat really. And so, yeah, we would obviously try to par everything out so that we didn't have extras, but in the, in the event that we did, Lots of people got free food, but, um, you know, that's always marketing too, because then when they get married or their kid graduates from high school, we do a ton of catering. We cater a lot of events, a lot of weddings and graduations and birthday parties and wedding anniversaries and all that kind of stuff. Um, catering's a really popular thing with people. We do that a lot, but yeah, so I had a, just a, a desk job downtown and I didn't like it and I wanted to try to do something on my own. And, um, so I had this food thing kind of cooking in the background and there was uh cooking with Caitlin who they actually own a barbecue restaurant now in Wyoming. Love Caitlin. Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah. So her and, um, now I'm drawing a blank, uh, her Ke- sister. Yeah. Kelly. Yes. They had a cheeseburger stand on found square. And so I was like, well, if they're going to do cheeseburgers, maybe I could like do barbecue chicken sandwiches. So I applied and I was accepted. When you say apply, meaning a so permit I to, to try to be on the farmer's on the market. Uh, yeah. I gotcha. So they were like, we're now accepting vendor applications. So I made an application and I got accepted and I was extremely surprised that I got accepted and I was not prepared. So I had to like rush around and I had no idea what I was doing. And they helped me out a bunch and got me situated and helped me out with the health department and all the stuff that you had to do. That's great. Um, yeah. And so that, that was kind of how I basically was working downtown and was convinced that there wasn't enough food to eat downtown. There's not. There wasn't then. There's still not now. Was the intent at that point to become a full-fledged restaurant or were you just trying to muster up a sort of a lunchtime business on the square? What, well, what I thought was, point? oh man, they're making money hand over fist. If I could do that, I'd be rich. Yeah. But obviously, we know that is not true. It's very, very difficult to make money as a vendor like that. You might make money on one day, then the next day it's bad weather or, you know, whatever, just weird things happen um, and you lose money. So you lose what you made the day before. It's a lot like blackjack. You just, 
the longer you sit there and play, you know, no matter how far you get up, you end up down or even or whatever. But um, at that point, at least you didn't have like a brick and mortar right. building that you had to yeah. pay for. Yeah. Well, once I figured stuff. out that the first step was, oh yeah, I'll do that. And it'll be like a hustle, side hustle or yeah. whatever. And then, well, it's actually two full-time jobs and it pays like a part-time job. But once we got rolling, then it was like, oh, well, that brass ring was, oh, well, well, maybe if we could just have a restaurant, you know, tempting you that brass ring was tempting you yeah. and so so eight years later it's the same thing you know maybe, maybe if yeah with each milestone yeah you think if we could just get to this point right right we'll be in the money baby yeah 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 but that never happens was it did anybody say to you elias listen you're going up against a cincinnati franchise that is wildly successful is kind of the staple. It's considered a Cincinnati brand. I'm talking about Montgomery. Sure, yeah. sure. You know, this guy's the rib king. What are you thinking? You really think you're going to be able to compete with that? Not that there's not room for competition, but we have some pretty high standards in this town. Were sure. you intimidated by that at all? You know, I I had I didn't even really think of that honestly, just because they have such a big brand and we were such a small thing or a competition you uh-huh. know and at the time we were we were doing pork shoulder you know which is pulled pork and they're primarily known for ribs and things and so i saw our product as more of a you know small roadside craft sort of product and mm-hmm. you know we don't have that legacy sure brand there that they have um now of course as we got further into the business and people were coming in and giving us accolades and serious things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And and so we, we, you know, we've been open for eight years now and um, we've gotten a lot of accolades and we've won a lot of best ofs and all that kind of stuff. And you know, it's humbling and exciting and um, Mm. you know, you're always just trying to make sure you, you know, we've, we've tried to not change as much as possible. Like that's been our biggest striving point is to keep our food as delicious as it was on day one or whatever, not day one, let's say, you know, day 50. <laughs> right. When we really had it down. Um, we really haven't added anything. We haven't changed anything. We haven't changed any of the products that we use. Um, just a few minor things that we've tweaked. Has that been um, difficult to stay consistent? To as we scale up. Resist change? Yeah, it is. It's really hard. I mean, like I said, we have three computers that we take orders on. And originally we took every order by hand. I liked the hand taking order because people got to spend a little time with the customer and, you know, feels less automated. Yeah. And, and I think that was one of the things that people enjoyed was that they didn't have to watch somebody hunting and pecking on a, a screen or a tablet. It's like, we're always surrounded by that. And so it's like, a, I like thought it was a nice respite away from that. We even had a rotary phone. Mm. Like we had a rotary phone for like three years and every all of the cashiers hated me because they couldn't hear to take the carryout <laughs> orders and they had to run from where they were at to get to the phone. But I thought the customers, even though no one ever said this, enjoyed hearing the old phone ring. Yeah. Now we have cordless phones. You seem a little and bummed. I, I'm, I am. I am. I'm bummed. Yeah. I'm sad. I'd like people to know that we did everything we could to not wade into all of that because those were the nuances that gave your brand character. Right. Right. Yeah. But it got to the point where we had so many people trying to call in and order food that we couldn't, 
answer their calls. And so then I'm getting Facebook messages that are that's saying no one's answering the phone. Well, it's because we had one phone and it was a rotary phone. And so, you know, to do the call waiting, you would, it was just like when you were in high school, you'd push the little sure. thing and hold, I'll be right back. You click back over and you're trying to finish taking the order. Well, two other people have called in and it's just ringing. And so they think that we're not answering the phone. And so now we have three cordless phones. Well, actually we have like a, a even a service now so that you can, that splits it all out and, if you want carry out or if you want pickup or if you're calling for catering or if you're calling for, for Finley market, or if you're calling for Riverside. I mean, these are good problems to have when you're on one hand, but on the other hand, isn't it interesting how in this day and age we're so impatient, we need it now. Was it hard for you to make the decision to start working with the food delivery companies? Cause I got to tell you, I'm a huge client. Like I order from the Finley market store all the time and have it brought up to Avondale because I'm craving those ribs, man. But I just, I, it's been a long day. I, know. I can't get myself out of that house. I just I, need I, some comfort food. I live downtown and I Uber eats and DoorDash constantly. I mean, it was hard. I can tell you that that's not going away anytime soon. And it's a big pressure on restaurants. You know, this is the information age. And so restaurants are a little bit <clears throat> of a dinosaur in terms of the way they function. And th they're kind of trapped. They're a business that is somewhat trapped in between the industrial age um, and the information age. So we still have all the input costs. We still have to pay for gas and electric and labor and people and space and land and insurance and right. on and on and on and on it goes until you really, there's not, there's a very little net. Mm. Whereas if I was a graphic designer or even a chiropractor, you're charging for what you know, which yeah. is information, right? So you make sense. Your business model makes sense in terms of the age that we live in. Like it's tough to be a farmer right now because we're not, it's like not the agricultural age. We're in the information age in the restaurant. You know, people have to eat, people have to eat out, but the information age is saying something else, right? And so you've got this pressure to become efficient and to get your product to everybody. It's no different than any other product. If you want to buy trash bags and diapers, well, you used to walk into Kroger and now you might order that on Amazon. Well, I can get my trash bags and my toilet paper on Amazon. Why can't I get my lunch and my dinner that way? And everything is filtered through the phone. So everybody has their phone. It's not really a phone. It's a portal to everything to the information age, right? So you've got, you know, your checking account, you got your mapping, your driving, you got everything on there. And so we're being trained to process everything through that portal. I can tell you that in 2017, we did maybe $15,000 in sales on dining platforms, delivery platforms. And by 19, that'll be probably somewhere around 300000 And would you consider that money that you never would have seen had you not? Because they, the, they take such a high percentage that you don't really make anything on it. So it's but almost, the argument that I've heard mm -hmm. from some, for the, from those who advocated is, listen, the person that's ordering through those platforms, you're not going to get them in the restaurant anyway. Right. So why not? I, I get it. I, I mean, we're on DoorDash and Uber Eats. It's about staying relevant. It's about keeping your food in front of people. Because as you said... And if, your food if, if, travels well. Our, you we have that have a good advantage. Yeah. So like we have the Queen City Whip, which is the food truck that does cheeseburgers and french fries at down at Queen City Radio. We're parked there yep. almost all the time. 
um, off of Central Parkway yeah, uh-huh. and 12th. Yeah, so that's not a product that travels well in terms of, you know, cheeseburgers. They just get soggy. Burgers the buns get tough. soggy. The French fries get cold and yeah. they're not good unless they're hot. Our food at Eli's, however, it does travel well. So that it's good. It works out. I mean, it does help pick up the slack uh, in the winter. It helps pick up the slack. You get those afternoon orders for people that have weird schedules and they want to eat at 3 p.m. That's the time they eat lunch because maybe they work second shift or mm-hmm. or whatever. And so I use them constantly at my house. I've figured out the way to, to use them efficiently. So it's like, okay, well, we're going to order chicken fajitas. And I already know that I have salsa, sour cream, and cheese and refried beans in my pantry. So I can just order the $13 fajitas and that's enough food to feed all four of us. So for 20 bucks, I'm getting everything I need. Whereas, you know, if I go to the grocery store, I'm going to spend $14 on chicken breast. I'm going to eat one and a half of them, throw the third one away or freeze it and then throw it away. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. You know what I mean? And, you know, I don't think you win that way. Everything's a push towards efficiency. All of the businesses and all of the money making is all kind of tied to addition through subtraction to some extent right now, right? Well, and I'm looking at how many businesses you got your hand in in one way or another. Besides Eli's, we talked about Fireside Pizza, which is doing well in Walnut Hills. Yeah, it's really picking up. Um, We've got a great operator there right now. Um, He's actually about ready to take it over um, as his own business, 100%. So that's pretty exciting. But yeah, he's he's doing a really good job up there. And um, Queen City Whip. Saunders Kitchen. Yeah. Tell us about Saunders Kitchen for people who don't know. So downtown, um, it's app-based, a restaurant where you, you don't go inside. So we have a small space that we cook all the food in, and then we deliver everything. And you can order through an app. And the app is our app, and it works really well. Is and it primarily lunch business? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's almost all lunch. Because we deliver on electric scooters. So it's just in the downtown. We deliver from... Basically from Mount Adams to Union Terminal to the back of o- over the Rhine to the river, that circle. Yeah. But we put the menu on the app five days in advance so you can see all What's the meals coming. and then you can pick the time that you want it delivered. So you can order, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday at a noon, one thirty and a 12, depending on when your lunches are or whatever. Um, and that's a variety of home-cooked foods, roasted chicken, meatloaf, meatballs, um, blackened salmon. We do a lot of soups and wraps and fruit salad, black bean salad. We do a lot of sides. It's basically kind of like an upscale deli type of a menu that you might see like if you walked into a New York deli or something, or not necessarily New York, but really any deli. Yeah. Um, And you do this all through an app. Yeah. All the foods on there, pictures of it are on there, calories, um, allergies, how to reheat it, all the ingredients. So you can see everything and then it's not going through a delivery service. So it's faster and you can pick exactly what time you want. So actually we've been open for three years. And so we were really ahead of the Uber Eats and the DoorDash platform craze. We were about a year ahead of them. Um, similar concept. just Similar concept, except it's our food. It's yours. Yeah. And so then we also have also own the technology. And so the app that we built, that took a lot of time and it took a lot of money, more money than we expected. Basically, whatever you build in the real world, if you want to build it in cyberspace, it's pretty much the same cost. Hmm. 
you know, like the universe knows the costs of things and what they produce. And so it's all... They know what it's worth to you. Right. You're not necessarily it, getting it, it, a bargain by going that route is yeah. your point. Yeah. Well, it's just like, it's like, it's like a business. Okay. So yeah. it's like if you were buying a piece of equipment, so you can have 10 people to pack these boxes or you can buy this piece of equipment that'll pack these boxes and you don't have to have the employees. You don't have to have the labor. You don't have to have the insurance workers comp. You don't have to pay payroll taxes, et cetera, et cetera. That sounds pretty You're attractive. Like, that's great. Well, how much is the piece of equipment? $1.2 million. Oh, wow. Well, that's yeah. five years of what we just said. Okay. So, you you know, what's the life expectancy on one of those? 10 years. Okay. How many times is it going to break in 10 years? Four times. How much does it cost to fix? $10,000 each time. So it's like, Wh- whoever, makes that, whoever makes that machine, how do they know to price it to where it just barely edges out. just edges out employees? Yeah. So it's the same way with, with you know, oh, let's go buy a POS system. Well, they're $80,000. Well, 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 let's make one on the app. Oh, guess what? It's $80,000. You know what I mean? Right. So it's just like. You can't, somehow you just can't win. Six or one half dozen of the other, I guess. It's the push and pullback of the economy, you know? And you're also involved in Highmark. Tell me what Highmark is. So it's a little like roadhouse type bar that's just down by Eli's on Riverside Drive. It's in an old house that was flooded in in the big flood in the 30s. And so we had to cut the floor out and raise the floor up out of the floodplain. Um, So it's got some interesting architecture and dynamics inside. We uh, we partnered with the um, the fellows that are in the Pho Lang Tang Pho Lang Tang down in Finley Market, the Vietnamese restaurant. Yep. So we partnered with them. Um, so it was Eli's and Pho Lang Tang, and we kind of wanted to just make a fun spot with good bar food, laid back atmosphere, and uh, we didn't want it to be Vietnamese and barbecue mixed. So it's really if you go in and eat the menu, um, you know, it's pretty standard bar food in terms of like what we offer cheeseburgers patty melts french fries chili loaded fries chicken wings things like that fried pickles but it's all has sort of our combined twist on it um in terms of flavor profiles and things like that food's really good there i'm really proud of it and really proud of the way it turned out but it was one of those projects where you know we were trying to hit a solid c plus you know because we wanted to feel that way you don't want it to feel like an a plus if that makes sense. To make it more accessible. Yeah, just, you know, that casual feel, like that place that you walk into on vacation and you're like immediately like, oh, this is really comfortable. I like this spot. To be comfortable there. Yeah, why yeah. do I like this spot? Right. You know, because it's not all ginned up and glossed over. You know, we tried to keep it, like I said, hit that solid C+. Because I just naturally produce C-plus work no matter what I do, <laughs> so I would feel very comfortable there. And then let's talk Same about here. Herzog Music is sort of an outlet for your passion for music. Yeah. So there is a, a music studio, a historic music studio downtown on Ray street called Herzog studios. Bucky Herzog opened the studio in 1945. And despite the marker in front, uh, probably a lot of people, if they're not aware of it, or if they don't go by there, or maybe they have walked by there and they just haven't noticed the marker, but the historical significance that you're talking about. Yes. It's super historic. The significance is, Really, it's almost a tragedy that it's not more widely known, which is one of the things that we're working on. So, it, first of all, I'm, the Herzog music thing is a kind of a collective of several other people. There's three or four people that all kind of work together on it. Um, it's more of a volunteer kind of a thing. It's designed to help bring 
awareness to to the community, to Cincinnati and everyone around what happened on the second floor, which is what the marker's for. So the second floor of Herzog is ran by a nonprofit here in Cincinnati called the Cincinnati Music Heritage Foundation. And that's a nonprofit that's made up of several community leaders and musicians and anyone that's interested um, in the preservation of the history. So that little boutique studio on the second floor is one of the last standing studios like that in America where that kind of music was recorded in the forties and fifties. Most of those places have all been torn down. Hank Williams recorded I'm so lonesome. Um, lovesick blues. Is it, um, is, does it resemble what it used to look like? I no, mean, no, no it's, it doesn't. It looks like it's carpeted with drop ceilings. We've got it decorated with yeah. pictures and a drum set. There's a piano that Hank played on. Hank Williams played on mm. in there. Um, we've got memorabilia from different musicians and different things. And, We've had lots of events and we've um, gotten three or four in the last four or five years. We've had three or four recordings there that have been put out and lots of different musicians have been in the space and famous musicians from all over the country. A lot of times when they come to Cincinnati, they'll come down and they'll go through the space or they'll come to Herzog and the music store and then they'll go upstairs to the second floor. But yeah, I had met the um, one of the people from the, the nonprofit was coming into Eli's when we first opened and we always take the staff down to the opening day parade and so he was like hey you could use the studio that overlooks the parade route and that's how i found out about it so then we started partnering you know hey they're gonna have an event we'll do barbecue and donate it and so i became friends um with the foundation and that relationship has just grown just sort of blossomed yeah over the last and then eventually the building owners came to me two years ago and said hey the first floor is going to open We'd love for you to do something in the first floor that would complement the second floor because they kind of connect. Right. Um, so I'm like, well, music and records, but you know, that's a, a pretty tough road to hoe in old 2019 retail sales. Um, not the easiest. Sure. But it's a it's a really cool space and it's a really neat everything that went on at, at Herzog essentially, you know, that runs into King Records. That basically is what kind of becomes king records so we had bucky herzog's family down they were blown away foggy mountain breakdown by flat and scruggs was recorded there which is probably the most famous bluegrass song ever recorded wow patty page recorded there um some of the first r&b ever recorded was recorded there there's just the the list of history is it just goes on and on and its place is that significant oh yeah it amazes me more people aren't aware of it I we mean, hear about King Records and, you know, God yep. bless. I mean, there's a marker there, but that poor building is rotting away, at least from what I can tell when I drive by it on the freeway. Yeah, it's well, now the city has it and owns it and they've been stabilizing it. Um, both the marker at King and at Herzog were put into place by the Cincinnati Music Heritage Foundation. That's awesome. And there was a big fight to keep King from not being torn down. There was many trips to the zoning uh, and historical department to give talks on why that building is significant and why we have and what, zoning departments and things. You, what could you do with that space? I mean, I know that in Memphis, this Stax Records, build, the building itself has since been demolished and sort of rebuilt. And they've tried to to recreate it as, as much as they can to what it was, and it attracts tourists. And it, on the surface, it seems to be thriving. And of course, Sun Recording Studios that Elvis is so famously associated with, and Jerry Lee Lewis and Carl Perkins and other yeah, yeah, artists. Yeah. But is there is there a is there a space? Is there a possibility to have something like that in our community? We would we would love to turn hers off. That's the meeting that we just had. We would love to 
have a, you know, have Herzog kind of function like Sun. I haven't been there, but people on the nonprofit have. And, you know, if we could, if we could get that to work that way, mm. you know, it's just all about finding money and all that kind of stuff. Like, like you don't have enough going on. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Right. I'm actually, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to pare things down right now. Is but, it hard uh, for you to say no? Because you're involved in so many things. I can't imagine juggling that many balls in the air. Well, 2017 started the year of no for me. So literally I had some friends and it was kind of like, yeah, you just have to say no, no matter what. Like, so 2017. Why? Because it was hard for you to say no up until that point? Yeah. I mean, just. Are you afraid of disappointing people? No, no. It's just opportunities. So an opportunity comes your way and you're like, wow, this is a really good opportunity. Yeah. And I don't want to miss it. Fear of missing out. Yeah. I mean, not that. Well, in some cases, you know, like the Highmark, the owner was going to put a bar there and it's going to be, you know, four doors from my restaurant. So either I put the bar there and maintain control of the culture that's around there or somebody else does and they grift off of our customers and and then it's a so you know we're just a partner in that um fireside pizza and one on hills was a situation where we had worked on the street with the vendor for a long time and the best pizza i've ever had so we're like this is the best pizza i've ever had the people that own the firehouse came to us and said hey will you put an eli's barbecue in this super cool old firehouse and we're like no because that's you know, we just we're just down on Riverside, and we're not really ready for a ne- another place. So, but we know this pizza place, the pizza guy that would be awesome in here. So we linked them up, and we ended up being involved in it as well. So kind of, ha- you know, stuff kind of happens like that. Sanders has a similar story. The Whip is also a similar situation where Queen City Radio, the owners, came to me and said, "Hey, you know, we're going to do this." bar and beer garden and we want to have food trucks do food and we want you to help us put this food together and so i sort of came up with that concept and then at the same time i had another person that was a chef in town that was looking for something to do and so i was able to partner with somebody on that and really each of those businesses has an operator and i'm not really the operator i i but you have helped help. facilitate these businesses yeah facilitating you know i've been through it so i know how to get through all the stuff and then help with the idea and the creative and partnering and sort of giving back in a way. Yeah. Right? Well, and that's, and that's another thing too, is trying to spot people that, you know, want to <clears throat> make something of themselves and want to get to the next level. And so if I've got an opportunity and I can help them while help that opportunity happen. Mm. Um, just sort of strengthens our overall brand because you never know when another better barbecue place is going to come along that's true and i so i have got pizza and cheeseburgers right (laughs) and i've got other things that i could focus on if that were to happen but um yeah i'm trying to so 2017 started the the year of no where i just automatically said no like it doesn't matter what the opportunity is i really can't do it and i'm not going to be able to do it right and give it a hundred percent so You know, and so, and like I said, I'm working on pairing a few other things down so that I have some other time because I got stuff on there you don't even know about. Well, (laughs) spill it. What what can you tell me? No, it's nothing that we need to talk about, but but also a lot of people stuff and a lot of community involvement with Seven Hills Neighborhood House, Boys Hope, Girls Hope, OTR Community Housing. I know you're an advocate for the West End. Yeah. A bunch of stuff like that. And that's just a few things. Yeah. That, that all just comes with 
having the businesses and a lot of those places need food. They need gift cards. They need raffle stuff. And that's and, an easy way for you to get Yeah, back. and it's so easy for us to do and easy for us to help support stuff like that. I owned two buildings in the West End for a while. Um, and so, you know, if you own property in an area, then then you're ending up in the community council meetings and then, you know, and it just goes... Snowballs. Yeah, and all those people are, are all on different boards and nonprofits and it all carries over and you find out, oh, well, somebody on the Seven Hills neighborhood board knew me from somewhere else. And Meanwhile, you got a family life to maintain. Yeah, I have two boys. Nurture. I have two boys and a girlfriend. Um, we live together. I have a 10-year-old and a 5-year-old. And yeah, they have soccer and stuff and school and yeah, you know, I made short ribs at home last night. So <laughs> it's like never ending. These kids know how lucky they are that they got somebody who can cook like you. I, I, they <laughs> or do, do they take it for granted? No, I think they, yeah. they're pretty good about it. They're, they're my, my one son has a really good palate and so does my other son. They both have, they both have really good palates, which, you know, that's the thing. Like you got to have a good palate. So I don't have a good ear for music. And so that was one of the biggest struggles I had with music is that I'm not naturally talented at it. Like mm. I'm not like, I know that. And I've been around a ton of other musicians and other people that are far more talented. And it's not because I don't practice or because they practice more, just they have more natural talent. Concept, yeah. I have a really good palate for food. I didn't know that until I got older, but Meaning I can, you can, you can, you can taste something and, be able to deconstruct it and yeah. know what's in it. I can taste something and I can deconstruct it or I can remake it or I can tell you why, why it's not good or what's missing. And some people, they like, I can't tune my guitar 25 years later. <laughs> I can tell you, I mean, I can tune it with a machine, right? I can tell you if it's out of tune, uh -huh. but I can't put it in tune. Okay. I can come over to your house and taste your chili or your spaghetti sauce yeah. or your soup and be like, okay, well you need Lemon juice, two dashes of Worcestershire, some more salt, and maybe like some thyme. That's amazing, you know. And that, and then they're like, the person's like, "Oh wow, wow," you know. That's and I'm not, I'm not trying to sound. No, I'm but just that, that's your that, skill set. Yeah, though. I'm that's, good at that. I and right. my kids are. My son, when we went somewhere and he got pizza, and he's like, "Wow, this pizza is really good," but they didn't put enough salt in the crust. And I'm like, <laughs> "You, you're right. You're dead on. There's not enough salt in the crust, and that's the problem with this pizza. The it's really good, but the dough." is dead. Wow. Like it doesn't have any, you know, and you can't, you can't get seasoning mm. on top of it. Seasoning has to be in it when it's made, you know, season everything. I could talk about this stuff all day. This is just like right up my alley. Yeah. I find this really interesting and I appreciate you spending as much time with me as you did. And I know we're kind of up against the clock here, so I've got to let you go, but thank you so much for coming on person of interest and congratulations to you and your success. Thank and you. And thank you for all you do for the community. You know, when you consider the investments and partnerships and the give back that's involved, uh, you truly are a person of interest who we appreciate. And thanks again for sharing your time. Th thanks for having me on the and show, talent. Jeff. I had Absolutely. A really good time talking and chatting. All right. Well, that wraps up this edition of Person of Interest with my guest, Elias Leisring, who's the co owner of Eli's Barbecue and involved at least for now with Fireside Pizza, Walnut Hills, Queen City Whip, Sandra's Kitchen, Highmark. And, of course, Herzog Music and Records. 
If you would like to suggest a possible future person of interest, shoot us an email. P-O-I, which stands for person of interest. That's P-O-I at WKRQ.com. Our producer is Natalie Jones. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, I'm Jeff Thomas. Thanks for listening. These are the people behind the stories that matter to you. Thanks for listening to Q102's Person of Interest with Jeff Thomas.